This is Taste for Tenacity, show number 15. So if you can share your failures, people are like, oh yeah, I know exactly how that feels. You share them a million dollars in your bank account, people don't know what that feels like. She said she ready. 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 What's going on, everybody? My name is Ben Trella, and this is Taste for Tenacity. Uh, this week, I am joined on the show by Nicholas Byerly. Uh, he's an author, an entrepreneur, a podcaster, and the CEO of the Billion Dollar Body. Uh, Nicholas, did I pronounce the last name right? So it's actually even simpler. It's barely, like we barely, barely. got it, we barely got it done. But so hey, I was wrong, but just barely. As you said, I'm an interviewer as well. And that's always something where I'm like, I go through their videos and I'm like, can you just say your name once so I can figure <laughs> out how the heck you say this? Well, Nicholas Barely, Barely, uh, welcome to the show. I am excited to have you on. Absolutely, Ben. I appreciate you creating a space like this. I remember when I was 13 years old, which will go over my life, changed for the negative in one moment. And at 17, it changed for the positive. And I always believe that if something can happen for the negative, it can happen for the positive as well. And we're going to have life-changing perspectives and moments for some people here today. I'm really looking forward to it. So uh, let's kind of dive right into your story. Where did things start? Yeah. So for me, I really, uh, my, my biggest like thing that happened to me growing up at the very beginning of my life was at four years old, my parents actually split up. And this was something that many people go through. 25% of homes in America are fatherless and up to 80% in some cities. That's like fatherless, like the dad's gone, not including not involved. Dad, checked out or split up families, which is pretty ridiculous. And that's a lot of what I do today, obviously working with men and a big reason for it. And I remember my parents splitting up and maybe people can feel, feel like see themselves in these situations. So my mom didn't like my dad, which is why they got divorced. And my dad didn't like my mom anymore, which is why they got divorced. And then I had to hang out with both of them. And I couldn't like the other one when I was with the one. So I'd be like with my dad and I felt like I couldn't like my mom. And I'd be with my mom and I felt like I couldn't like my dad because I was like, they just did not like each other at all. And so it put this like immense pressure on me that I felt that at seven years old, I actually wrote my first suicide letter. I just remember getting grounded. I remember getting dropped off from one house to another. I remember getting dropped off at 6 a.m. in the morning at school. School wouldn't start till like eight. So I'd be sitting out front for like the one and a half, two hours beforehand. And then I'd be at school afterwards in an after school program until 536. And so I was at school for like 11, 12 hours every single day. I hated school. I hated being away from my family. And it felt like I just, yeah, never had stability in that, like just feeling like totally under anxiety. But inside of that, my dad actually was phenomenal, taught me a ton of different things. And one of the things he taught me at two was I actually became the youngest kid in the world to start racing bicycles. He just put me on a bike and like shoved me down a hill <laughs> and I started pedaling and I'm sure I fell. Yet I don't remember that. What I do remember is I still have the newspaper to this day of like at the time being the youngest kid in the world to be on a actual track racing bicycles and right around when my parents split up my dad ended up buying me a motorcycle that's like what I went all into so for the people that grew up playing sports I was in the extreme sports and that's all I did but I put extreme pressure on myself and as a business owner a lot of business owners or a lot of great salespeople, even a lot of times they played sports in high school or college or something because you have that wanting to achieve and grow and win and some of that competitive nature mm -hmm. but at to me, it was like I put so much pressure on myself. And a lot of people out there that are, uh, there are people that are championship winners, they hate losing more than they like winning. 
It's just pretty <laughs> interesting concept. Yeah. So I hated losing so much. I put so much pressure on myself. I wanted the proof of my dad. And it got to the point at 13 years old, I tried to get that. And I remember like trying to tell my dad, I'm going to be the best motocross racer in the world. Maybe people out there did this with school. Like I'm going to go to college and my parents would be so happy for me and they'll finally love and accept me or I'll go get that job or whatever it is. And that's what I did. And I remember looking at my dad and telling him, I'm going to be the best motocross racer in the world. He looked at me at 13 years old and said, Nicholas, you'll never be the best. And it, like everything inside is like the straw that broke the camel's back. It was insane. I just went, shut off in high school. My, this is what my years look like. I pretty much played video games during school, eight hours a day. Outside of school, I play probably 16 to 20 hours plus a day. I gained 60 pounds while I was in high school. I ended up dropping all my friends, didn't have one girlfriend throughout high school, stopped racing motocross, the only dream that I had. And the only reason that I graduated is because I went to summer school every single year. I graduated the 1.8 GPA from high school. Wow. So, you know, I know that one of the things that you wanted to talk about is like, did you go to college? I'm like, would any college let me on the campus? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and it wasn't, it wasn't purely because I was an idiot or something like that. It was mostly because I just, one, I didn't have any purpose. I didn't have any confidence. I had lost my worth of who I was. And also I didn't really see how school was going to help me get what I wanted. Hmm. And I've been really good at not doing things that weren't going to help me in the future. Not that school couldn't have, but if I don't see it, I just don't do it, which has also been a big strength of mine as well. But that was pretty much like my story growing up before I even got into real entrepreneurship. Okay. So you come from this just very, very challenging and difficult background where you're sort of the tug of war rope being, being pulled between, you know, different family interests, different people that you cared about that no longer cared about each other. And so it seems like this really really took a toll on you, especially, you know, after that 13 year old conversation with your dad and, and coming to terms with the fact that you'll never be the best and maybe not coming to terms with it, but, but being, being faced with it. What was, what was that like? What was going through your head at that time? Yeah, there was a lot of things going through my head. And that was the one moment that I was talking about that when I was 13, like that one moment shifted me on a negative trajectory over the next few years of just like fully downhill. And, you know, a lot of it showed me afterwards that so much of how you value yourself, it says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? It's like a quote from the Bible. And people are like, oh, like I need to love my neighbor. Like this makes sense. But I noticed that the way I was treating myself, my external actions were actually just reflecting my internal beliefs. So I wasn't drinking good quality water. I wasn't eating well. I wasn't moving my body. I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't loving myself. And I also couldn't pour into anyone else and show any type of love or appreciation or anything like that as well. And so throughout that process, it really just like, it just broke me down inside and I just didn't care about anything else. Again, I wasn't good at people pleasing. Like it just wasn't that my thing. So as soon as I didn't care about anything, I didn't want to do it. But that one moment shifted my life for the negative. Yet when I was 17 years old, I'm at school, I'm vulnerable, I'm wearing a sweatshirt every single day, like it's 110 degrees outside and I'm wearing a sweatshirt. Like I was so embarrassed with who I was. People kept asking me like, aren't you hot? And I'm like, no, like I'm perfect, you know, it's, I feel fine. Yeah. Like, it was so terrible. And I remember this kid, he brought out a bag of fruit and this is like how impactful you can be on someone. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a huge video or a big story. Brought a bag of fruit. And at this point, I was eating chocolate milk during the summer, hot chocolate during the winter, 
and a cinnamon roll for breakfast. And then I was going and having orange chicken and white rice for lunch. Like that was what you did. And I had to eat, my mom didn't cook much. So she, we had mini corn dogs and like potato skins for dinner. That was every single day. And at this point I saw this kid and I'm like, dude, this is like polarizing. You know, it's like, this is crazy. Some kid brought fruit to school. What a weirdo. So I asked him, (laughs) he said he was a boxer and he had a coach that did his meal plan and wanted him to weigh in at the correct weight. So all of a sudden something clicked for me and it made me realize two things for the people out there, two types of people. One, you're motivated. Like I was still motivated in video games and everything. I just didn't know what to do. So motivated, but don't know what to do. There's a second type of person, which is very common now with so much education is, you know what to do. You know how to lose weight. You know how to make money. You know how to work hard, but you just don't do it. And you have no motivation to go out there and do it. So this was me like, oh my gosh, like if I get this, I'll be a higher performer. So it's not just about looks and just all about me. It's going to help me perform better. And then two, it's, it's a plan, like something that I can do right now and Again, I teach this to all my guys. If they're coming out of the product in the world, like if you're teaching someone, they need to know that it works, that it'll work for them and it'll work right now. I saw that and I was like, this will work for me. I can eat fruit and I did it. So I I legitimately had no plan, no podcast like this. And I starved myself for six months and lost 60 pounds. I was eating like nothing, dude. Like I just never talked to that kid again, copied the fruit. I had a little bit of fruit each day, a little bit of a granola bar. Like imagine like a fourth of a cup of cereal and like two mini corn dogs every night and boom, lost 60 pounds in six months without even hitting the gym. Jeez. So I, I noticed that, right? Like I saw that when I got a plan, I took action. And then I've also had times where I know what to do. Like now that I've been healthy for nine years, mm-hmm. there's times where I'm like, I know what to do, but I just don't want to. Yeah. And like, how do you also take action on the things you know, which I've been able to conquer over the years now? Huh. Okay. So you're, you're in high school, you're 17 years old. You see some goon with a bag of fruit <laughs> and that, that wakes you up almost to what's possible. And, and the fact that it can just be a plan. And it's like you said, it has those three pieces. It's, it works. It's easy or it's, it's laid out. It, it works and it'll work for me. Those are two separate things. Like, yeah. If I say, if I tell people, hey guys, I wanted to be a millionaire by 25 and I worked my ass off, I did this thing and I didn't get it by 25, but 26, I made my first million. Like that's true. And mm-hmm. people know it's true and they probably can see my testimonials and see it works, but they'll look at it and go, I don't know if I could do that. Right. So to have people believe that they could do it as well, like if that guy was shredded, right. And he was like, <laughs> And he was eating some weird, obscure meal and like lifting like 10,000 pounds a day or something. Yeah. I'd be like, it works for you, but like, I'm not that genetically not gifted, person. right? So it has to work for them. And, it, and you want it to be something that they can do right now, like something that they can actionably take action on right now. Okay. And so that third point, I want to kind of jump into real quick and just kind of take a side detour. How do you balance it can work right now with you know, those small tweaks that actually add up over time, you know, you didn't lose 60 pounds in a weekend. How do you balance knowing what'll, what'll take you the right way in the long term with seeing some sort of short term result to keep you moving forward? Yeah. So those are really good points. And a lot of times what I like to shift people's perspective, because us as coaches, as educators, as teachers, a lot of times we're shifting people's, people's belief systems, the way that they look at life, the way that they perceive themselves. So a lot of what I'll do is I'll make sure people first off, they're not so focused on the outcome of what they're trying to produce, but they're more focused on the actions because actions, if that's what we're tracking, 
are able to see results right now because they went to the gym today. They're not looking at, did I lose a pound today or did I gain five pounds this week or a pound this week of muscle? That's not what they're looking at. So what we do is we make sure that no matter what it is, whether it's business related, fitness related, or myself, the reason for the goal, like the outcome, is to know the action that needs to be taken to get that thing. So if I want to weigh in at, let's say right now, I'm 152, which is not a lot, but I'm five foot seven inches, Yeah. but I'm 152. Let's say I wanted to be 160 and 5% body fat, and that's where I wanted to be. I'm like, okay, that's good to know, but just knowing that isn't going to do anything for me. Like I'm not going to be able to beat myself up or imagine it to all of a sudden get it. Like you need to have that on the forefront of your mind, but I have that so that I can go, okay, who's an expert that knows how to build a plan to get there? Or do I already know a pretty basic way to be able to put in the effort to be able to get that result? What is that plan? And then I forget about the result. Like that's just there. I look at it once a week and I focus on, am I doing the actions that it takes to get the result? And when do I want that result by? And if I'm not getting the results that I want, then I just go back and relook at the plan, the actions that I'm taking. So it takes the focus off of the external result because that'll take like, people get addicted to that. That's why people start new things all the time and then stop and get shiny object because they look at the result, they work really hard, they make a lot of progress. And then once the going gets tough and progress isn't as easy, they quit because they're not focusing on the action. So actions will always create results, right? So results are great just to create an action plan and actions create results. If you want a different result, you change the actions that you're taking every single day and then you'll change the result. So that's where mentors and coaches and education comes in. Everyone here has been educated in some way, shape or form. I couldn't imagine having someone right now try to build a light bulb. Like if I said, hey man, can you build me a light bulb? You can't look at anything though, just off your memory. Like do it with your intuition or do it with your skill set. Like it's going to take you a lot of tries. But if I tell you exactly how to build a, uh, a light bulb, like just every single little piece, a step-by-step -step guide, you may still take you a while because it's hard to put the things together, but you could figure out how to do it. And then after you've done it once, you could do it over and over again. So that's the benefit of having a mentor, a coach, or a plan, depending on what industry or what you're learning, to be able to take action on to produce a result. Because when I put it that way, no one would just go into business or life blind, like totally blind. Oh, I'm just going to go take action. Okay, go take action and build me a light bulb. Let me know how that goes. I'll talk to you in like 80 years and you still won't have it figured out. Yeah, take right? action toward what? Yeah, and, and with what plan? And who? how do you know the plan's going to work? And that's why I'm so blessed. I feel like that's the reason why I went from 1.8 GPA to producing over a million dollars in sales in just one calendar year. <laughs> like not meaning from there, but like I was able to produce a million in just a year, not over time. Yeah. And the reason from that was not because I was smart or talented or was good at speaking. I wasn't good on video. I didn't know how to build an influence. I didn't know how to build a following and I wasn't good at sales. I wasn't good at any of it. Yet I had good mentors, coaches, and teachers that could teach me and show me the path that I could execute on to produce the result. And that's because they already did it. Yeah. So it was hard for them. Now it's easy for me because they already did it and they're showing me. Yeah. And something I want to point out too is, is you're not advocating for finding a mentor solely for finding a mentor's sake. Instead, you're focusing on look at where you want to go first, have that end goal in mind, and then find the mentors, the coaches, whoever it may be to help point you in that direction. hundred percent. And 
I like to break things down a little bit differently that mentors a lot of times teach me about life and how I should live life and like help me with my perspective. Coaches a lot of times help me get through things that I'm going through right now that are holding me back from getting everything that I need to get, like to be able to do the things that I want to do. This is why people think you need to hire a coach that's already better than you, 10 times better than you at what you want to do. Not necessarily true. I got to clean carpets back in the day. I was a carpet cleaner for a lot of years before I was in business for people that don't know, making 1200 bucks a month. So I was like, I was that guy cleaning mm-hmm. your carpets. And I got to uh, clean the carpets of the coach of the Beijing Olympic weightlifting for America. So like the guy who coached everyone. Yeah. Like that guy's in shape, but he doesn't lift more than 110 pounds. Huh. And like these guys are clean and jerking like f- 507 pounds or whatever. Yeah. So, so if they only hired a coach based on that, they would hire Michael Jordan as a, as a basketball coach, LeBron James, but these guys are good at the game. They're not great coaches, hmm. right? Like they're not, they, they weren't people that went through the same struggles as the people that aren't as gifted as them. So mentors, I have mentors. My mentors a lot of time teach me about life. These are long-term relationships. Coaches, a lot of times I'm looking for someone that can make sure I get past those mental ruts. I have one right now. She coached with Tony Robbins for 13 years. She's my coach. And I, I don't talk to her about my craft. I talk to her about my life and like what's going on and what I think I need to do. And she helps me as a coach discuss helps me discover what I should do. She doesn't tell me what to do. And then I have teachers, right? And people that teach me things. This is someone that doesn't give me accountability. And usually it's not a long-term relationship. I'm like, teach me how to do this. Here's the money. Teach me. I'll go implement it. You're not going to follow up with me and care for me and all this different stuff. So a lot of times people look at all those things as the same thing. It's not always true. And, And, but if you're trying to learn from someone, yeah, typically you want to learn from people that have they produced the result that you want to produce as well? And that's always my starting point. Like right now, I just picked up surfing again. I've been surfing my whole life, but I just realized I saw one of my friends, he had a coach for surfing and I realized how fast he was improving. And I was like, oh, I'm so jealous. Like (laughs) I can't let him get better than me. And I'm like, damn it, I'm going to go get a coach. Yeah. So what do I do? Like I want a result. I want to get good at surfing. And like, I know that that, the place I'm looking for a coach. Now, what do I look for? I look for the best surfer or first I look for the best of the best. And then I look for the people that I relate to and that have the life that I want, the lifestyle that I enjoy being around. Mm -hmm. Because no matter what, whoever you're around, you're going to become like, even if you're just learning for one subject, maybe it's a teacher, a mentor, a coach, a business coach, whatever it is. Maybe it's a personal trainer. If you're going there for one thing, you'll get more stuff. I always say some things are better caught than taught you catch things i was golfing i know i pick up a lot of sports but i was golfing for about a year and a half and i golfed with a pro golfer every day see the like the common things that i do i always play with the best so i played with a pro golfer every day i hit 240 balls a day every day for a year and a half and i went from shooting in the 120s to in the 70s like absolutely insane and what i realized is that i learned how to play golf from him by learning from the best but he also dipped chewing tobacco. And even though I didn't dip, I still spit every time I golf, still to this day, because I picked up on a habit that he had. I didn't pick up on the chewing tobacco, luckily, even though it was tempting, actually, because I looked up to him and I'm like, dang, this guy does chewing tobacco. And he's so good at golf. I'm like, there must be a correlation. There's a correlation, yeah. (laughs) But I still spit even when I golf today. 
So it shows you that if you get crappy mentors that have bad relationships, bad health, you're going to end up actually just being a product of that environment. Awesome. So, and, and you mentioned it a little bit ago, but there's definitely a, a progression there that I want to touch on. So you went from having that, that point in your life where you lost that 60 pounds with two corn dog bites for dinner, a uh, piece of fruit and some granola for breakfast, and then into suddenly driving a, a pretty powerful sales machine. What started to happen after you, you finished that high school period and you started to move forward uh, into your early 20s? It's a great question. So for everyone, at this point, I'm trying to figure out what am I supposed to do? Like what's the traditional thing to do, like going to college? If I don't know what to do, that's typically what people do. I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know what my vision is. So I'll just go to college because it'll give me more time to really think about it and figure it out. Yeah. So I went and I applied for a junior college. I didn't show up to one of the classes at all. And I ended up like knowing this is not going to go right. Yeah. So I actually did something really crazy. That a lot of people can do or will do in their life. What was a huge benefit to me? And this was, I dropped out of school and I took nine months where I did my own school. I realized up to that point in my life, I had just done everything for everyone's approval. Like I wanted like people to like me. I wanted my parents to be proud of me. I decided what's the thing that I could do that would not give me anyone's approval. So what I did is I legitimately locked myself in a house for nine months, eight to five, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And I would leave after that and I would read, study, meditate, and try to figure out every place that I could personally grow, but my family didn't know what I was doing. So my parents were trying to kick me out of the house. My friends didn't really know what I was doing. And from the outside perspective, it looked like I was a complete idiot. But I knew I was doing the hard work that was going to help me have a foundation of success in the future. So going through like my past traumas, going through things that I really felt like was going to hold me back. So I did that for a whole year. And then I went to a ministry school. I decided I'm going to go serve all the poorest people in the world. So I went on all these different mission trips to like 13 different countries, all this stuff. And throughout that process, that's when I was fit. I was feeling good about myself. And that's when I met my wife, a common interest. And like we started dating. Mm -hmm. And when I got married, that was like the moment everything shifted for me, dude. Like, at that point, I was just living for myself, right? Just make enough money to go do whatever the hell I want with my life. And at this point, when I got married, I was like, oh, crap. Like, I have responsibilities now. This is intense. Like, I have to think about a legacy, all these different things. And that's when my wife and I did something that I think everyone should do, which is what life do you want and what life do you not want? And a lot of times we know what we don't want a little bit more than what we do want. So if I were to ask people, like, what do you want to do? They'd give me a BS answer because they don't really know. But if I were to tell them, what don't you want to do? They're like, man, I just don't want to sit behind a computer for like 50 hours a week in a cubicle. Like I want to be able to go outside during the summer and like do stuff or whatever. I'm like, great. Write those things down, what you don't want. My wife and I, we didn't want to be apart. Like we got married. Why would we go get two separate jobs and not spend any time together? That just sounds stupid. So I did process of elimination. What are the ways that I could be with my wife? And one of the best ways was to create a business based on my skill set, based on what I had known. So that's what made us go down the route of business. Yet I went one year into business and boom, failed. Like I did okay the first year, lost everything. Yeah. Like licking my wounds, I went and cleaned carpets for two and a half years for $1,200 to $1,600 a month. Like talk about humiliating, dude. Like it was so terrible. I thought like I was nothing. I was less than nothing. And a lot of times that's where people give up and go back to a regular career. Yet I like got steam again and started investing in myself again 
And that's when that second phase of like going back in three years later, never producing more than $3,000 a month in business. I made another investment. My wife pushed me to do it. $5,000 for a two, no, three day event. That's what it was. And it was supposed to like teach you, give you a network, whatever. Yeah. So I'm like, at this point, I'm just like, I don't even know what it is. I just feel like I need to do this. Mm-hmm. So six months is the event and five months in, I hadn't made any progress. I was freaking out, dude. I had no money. It was all my credit card. Yeah. And I remember going to this event and I got to like share what I did. People loved it. I was like, Hey, I help other people lose weight the way that I did. Here's my story. And I actually broke down crying in front of everyone. Cause I never told the story about me and my dad. That's why I got fat. And everyone was like, wow. Like I had never sold anything cause I wasn't vulnerable. I never told people my story. I just acted like I was perfect. And I thought people wanted my fit body. And so why don't people buy because I'm fit? But they actually bought because they related to that I was fat. And so all of a sudden I left there. I saw people believed in me. I had more clarity on like the things I was supposed to do. And that 30 days after that event, I did $22,000 in sales. Jeez. And ever, every single month since then, I've never had a not profitable month in my business. It was so- years ago. So you, you launch this first business, you realize that's, that's something you and your wife can work together on, something you can create together, the yep. way you don't have to spend time apart. What was that first business that ultimately kind of floundered? Yeah, so it was network marketing. I had no clue what to start. I was thinking about a cafe. I was thinking about all this different stuff. And someone sends me a book, actually her family did, Business of the 21st Century by Robert Kiyosaki. So I read that book. And at this point, I had only seen these like weird pyramid schemes, but I never really, I didn't even know what network marketing was. So I wasn't like, my family wasn't complaining about Tupperware parties or anything like that. My dad was a business owner as well. So I knew traditional business. Yeah. And so I get this book and then I watch this one video that someone sent me about this company called Vicelis, the weight loss shake. And it was because I had lost weight. So I was like, ah, we'll see. Like, let me take a look at it. But I was kind of, you know, I had my walls up. I was a know-it-all and all this stuff. So I watched this thing and then they sent me a sample and I loved the actual flavor and I started freaking out. I bought the thing right there, 500 bucks, bought the package. And I was like, I'm going all in. I invited all my friends over. I was like, guys, this is it. This like, is it. We're going to make it. And all my friends, no one bought. And they were all like, dude, you're freaking off. Like, this is stupid. And I actually lost a ton of my best friends at the time because of that, that I've had to reconnect with now. I held two parties every week for an entire year and just went all in, man, went to the live events, did everything. And the company went from 200 million to 600 million in one year. And we rode that roller coaster and it provided for our whole first year marriage. I was telling people I was retired. I was 20. Hmm. I bought my, I bought a BMW off the lot. I was yeah. like, dude, I'm like retired. I'm like, I'm That's good. It. Like, yeah, I'm crushing it. And so um, I remember going through that, that period and then the company crashed and my income crashed and I realized that I didn't know how to package, market, or sell my own product. And that was the scariest thing was like, I sold this person's product, but I didn't want to keep doing that if there was a chance that it could be gone, just like this product that I believed in just tanked. And I was like, man, I don't want to have that. I want to have control over what's the product, what's the ingredients, how can I make it amazing and how can I market and sell my own stuff and that's where I had to go into carpet cleaning, clean carpets for two and a half years while my wife was making 900 bucks as a receptionist at a massage department, interning underneath a health coach for nine months for free for zero pay to learn how to build a program, to learn how to build a list and getting that education through just like serving and just being an intern. 
And throughout that process, that's where we started to build the skill set to build the audience until we finally learn how to market and to sell and package our own product. And now the cool thing I get to do with these guys is that really at the end of the day, like I help these guys not only prosper in wealth and, and relationships and health, but I help them become an overpaid influencer. I remember my first time I had 61 people that really followed me, 61, like that's it. And I did a, I had a free offer and it was 15 day six pack challenge. I was helping these guys lose belly fat in 15 days, free thing. Only got 61 people to do it. I texted, I emailed, I did everything, messaged everyone, posted, only got 61 people. And you have to believe that not 61 people actually did it. Well, I found out that after 18 months of serving those 61 people, I did over $150,000 in sales with those six, just the 61. Hmm. And so that's what I call being an overpaid influencer because I had influence over 61 and I'm making more money than most guys that have 50,000 followers plus. So that's number one. Even if you don't know how to get your message out and, and you're scared to put yourself out there, like you don't know what to say. The second thing is creating an irresistible offer where literally people have no other choice but to give you their money at the end of your conversation. Like that's what I was able to learn how to do. Like I remember uh, one of the times I finally discovered this, I was at a, my own event, 80 people were there and I said, hey, I got this thing, it's 10,000 bucks, here's what it is. I had six people come up to me and go, hey man, I just feel like I owe you already, here's 10 grand. And I was like, 25 of them gave me 10 grand, but six of them specifically said that. And I was like, wow. And then the rest of them, they all bought and I didn't convince them or anything. I'm like, whoa, like I, I gave them an offer that they literally either had to go to bed at night beating themselves up, like, why didn't you buy that? Or they had to give me their money. And the third thing is really, how do you build your influence and have the influencers that you right now look up to promote you and your products and services, not having to just raise your expenses by running digital advertising. Not that it's bad. You should run digital advertising. But if you can't make organic money, like you should probably learn how to do that and then put money towards it. And I've been able to do this over and over and over again. I just got done with Grant Cardone. Grant Cardone, I'm going to promote his interview to his people that are going to become my followers. Now imagine if I got on Grant Cardone's show. Grant Cardone would be promoting me to his followers and all of a sudden all these new people would come and buy. But everyone gets taught that they just have to post all the time and do all this stuff and, and per, like grow their audience organically. And I'm like, no, dude, that's going to take a really long time. Like if you sell something, you work two years and you build a small audience, you sell something once to them and now you've gotten all your warm people to buy. Now what? Now you need new people to come in, but you don't have any new people coming in. So I show people how to tailor those three things together to specifically create a bulletproof business with the foundation of being a three-dimensional businessman. And actually, I have a free video that requires no opt-in actually if you go this way for people. It's nicholasbailey.com slash apply. And at the top of that page, there's actually a video where I break this down a little bit more in depth with examples of how it took me eight hours to film my first three-part video series there was like three minutes of video, terrible on video, didn't know what to say. So I show people, if you're like that, how do you still become an influencer? And I show them exactly how to do that. Um, I show them that I didn't know how to package my service and how it changed. I show them how I leverage other people's audiences and literally again, become an overpaid influencer, 61 followers, $150,000 in sales. That's just with the 61. Like those were the only people that paid me the whole 18 months. Huh. So it's, it's interesting too, because it seems like you spent so long just trying to sell for selling sake and, and sell because it's the product that you have to move. But there was this inflection point where you realized people, 
people believe in the story and people buy into the story. And if you have a product or a service or whatever the case may be that works in the story to back it, that's when people can really buy in. So like you said, being vulnerable can oftentimes be the first step. 100%. And when it comes to your product, a lot of times I also thought I had a great product and I would try to shove it down people's throats. And what I realized is that, yes, if you can share your story, share a mission and vision that is like the place that your company's going, share your vulnerable story that people can connect with because people follow you for two reasons. They either like you or they want to be like you. A lot of people just show that I want to be like you piece. They just show like the way that they look and the car that they drive and people are like, oh, I want to be like that. But more people can connect with failure than success because most people have been failures. Not a lot of people have had success. So if you can share your failures, people are like, oh yeah, I know exactly how that feels. You share them a million dollars in your bank account, people don't know what that feels like. So I, I really started sharing that. And what happens is you start building influence. And then all you have to do is survey and figure out and talk to your audience that you have influence over and figure out their one common core need and create a product to solve that. For years, I sold a health product. I just tried hard. I made good money, six figures selling this health product. Then all of a sudden I surveyed the people and I was like, listen, what do they actually need? Like, what do these people actually want and need? I did that and I did my first $200,000 day. Just one day, $200,000 in sales. And I never made $200,000 in a calendar year up to that point. And I'm like, man, that's a lot better. So like you said, sharing that vulnerable story, building a small audience and then serving that audience and creating a solution for them. And the way I like to do that is through group sales. I'm not great at one-on-one -on -one sales. Um, I've done it, but I'm a lot better at just like getting a lot of people to buy things at once. It's a lot easier because then you don't have to like, if you like to talk and you're a talker like me, one-on-one -on -one sales, you don't talk. You just ask a question and everyone else talks. Great for like an introvert in my opinion. You just like, you don't say anything. Yeah. If you like to talk a lot, like I like to tell stories, dude, sales to many, whether you're on stage, on a telephone or on a video, like you can talk the whole time and sell people. It's so much fun. <laughs> so, and, and it's important too, there's not only one way to do things. You're talking, there's group sales, there's one-to-one, -one, there's telephone, there's video. You said video wasn't good for you initially. There's audio, there's written content. There's so many different ways to actually do things and to not only spread your message, but ultimately get people to identify it that there's no sense just saying, oh, this wasn't it, I'm out. Yeah, so you, you want to break down with your business based on your margins, based on the size of your product, based on the ease of sale, based on your skill sets and how you want to run the business, what's the best way to go about it? No matter what, the best converter is going to be one-to-one -one in person. That's going to be the number one converter. Like if you can sit down with every person face-to-face, -face, look in each other's eyes and you're stuck right there 100%, that's going to work a lot better than if one person saw your video, right, of the same talk. Mm -hmm. The next is going to be in person to many, right? Like one-on-one -on -one in person, in person to many. This would be a live event, me on stage. That's going to convert better than the second thing would be one-on-one -on -one video because I can see you. It's another touch point. Then it's one-to-many video. That's called a webinar. Right? You got one-on-one -on -one phone call. You got tele-seminar or whatever it's called, like a telephone group call. Yeah. Uh, never, I've, I haven't done them since like freaking 2012. <laughs> but, yeah. but it is something that people still do. Uh, and then you have, you know, from there, it's like, okay, well, then it's like video live. 
right? Live is going to convert better than automated. And then you have, like, you break it down. So, like, I have this whole breakdown for all of our guys, but I basically show them first figure out what section you're in, and then I build trainings based on each one. So, here's how you do one-to-one sales. Here's how you do one-to-group. Like, I'm really good on stage selling people to the masses or on uh, actual training with lots of people, right? And I used to do one-on-one sales and I thought that was like what I was supposed to do. And I always put so much pressure on myself. Like it's always so awkward trying to take everyone's money and everything. And, but one-on-one sales, like I did that, sold hundreds of thousands of dollars, like just over the phone. And like there's scripts and ways to be able to do that. And, and so you find the best converter. The cool thing is, is that let's say right now, everyone right now probably should be picking up the phone, meeting people in person and doing video calls. Everyone should. Here's why. Because during that process, you get to learn how to build a script. During that process, you get to know why people are buying so that you can build it into your messaging. And you get to figure out the objections that people are having and how to tweak the product until it's so good that people have to give you their money and their objections are already overcome before they even get on the call. And then that's where you can easily automate the entire process because now you know what people want, you know why they buy you know why they don't buy and you build that objection handling all into an automated process that doesn't take a person yet. It's really difficult to do that if you've never gone through that process. So don't think that you have to be on the phone or have to do these things forever. Allow it to be training purposes, building a script, allow it to be uh, research and development for the actual like customer, like getting to know the people. Oh man, this guy didn't buy because of this. How can we overcome that objection before they even get here? So I start building it into the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, why did you buy? I'm like, oh, they love this. Okay, I'm gonna start building that in so I get more people to buy. And then after a while, it's like now it's to a point where it can do its own thing. Gotcha. And and use those early on experiences to influence your direction. And like you said, your materials, understanding why the person that's in front of you is in front of you. Absolutely. Every, I mean, that's the basis of sales right there. And so many people get this wrong. I just bought pest control for my house. Never done it before, but this guy sold me and he was at my house and he was like, you know, first off I, I answer the door. I think he's delivering a package because I get so many packages at my door and he's not, it's pest control. And I'm like, Oh, this is interesting. Like I have spiders everywhere <laughs> right now. It's summer in California. It's crazy. And so I need it. So it was perfect timing first off, but he kept telling me, you know, your neighbors think it's safe. You know, if you're anything like your neighbors, they have kids, they have dogs and they do it. I'm like, dog, I'm nothing like my neighbors. The problem that he did, luckily I already wanted it or else I wouldn't have bought it. Yeah. Problem is he never got to know why I wanted it. And then he could just shove why I wanted it back into my face. If I said, I hate taking out the trash cans because every time I take them out, it's like 12 o'clock at night and it's last minute and there's always spiders everywhere and I run into them. And I hate the thought of my wife complaining and I don't want to invite any of my friends over because there's freaking spider webs all over the place. He could be like, well, what would life be like if you could just take out the trash cans easily, your wife wouldn't have to worry and you could finally have those parties that you wanted all year round, not to mention all the other things of the safety and whatever. Like, well, that would be pretty freaking amazing. And he's like, cool. I, I, well, what I would love to do is get this started today and that way that you can have your friends come over more. And that way your wife feels more comfortable and you could start taking out the trash cans and then she's going to be even happy because when you don't take out the trash cans, your wife's unhappy. I don't want that to happen. Let's just get this done today. And then if there's any problems, risk reversal, risk reversal, whatever their like guarantees are. Mm -hmm. And I would have been like, damn, like, yeah, 
That but he was talking about, yeah, you, if you're in one-to-one sales, the benefit is you can overcome objections and you get to know the customer. When you're in one-to-many sales, which is what I've mastered now, you have to already know the customer and you have to already know their pain points and what they want and what objections they're going to have to overcome them without them ever saying them, right? So like it's a skill set. So I used one-on-one sales to get to know the customer so that now when I'm talking to them, I don't even need them to say anything and I can overcome all their objections. Gotcha. So as we kind of continue to move forward, uh, I know there was one thing that we really wanted to make sure to touch on uh, and it was, we mentioned it in the intro and I want to get to it now. Uh, You're an author, yes? Yes, sir. Right here, Modern Day Businessman Success Without Sacrifice. And actually, do you know Russell Brunson? He owns ClickFunnels? I do not. So Russell owns ClickFunnels. He's a uh, he's the CEO and co-founder. They're like do over $150 million a year. Um, I actually sent him the book and he sent me over this quote that we put on the front page or the front cover. It says, Nicholas Bailey has done what millions of people dream about. If you take what he teaches, your life will thrive in every area, which was super cool for him to throw in there. Yeah. And actually we became a number one bestseller as well, which was amazing. And it just absolutely crushed it with the book, but it's called the modern day businessman success without sacrifice. The things that I learned about, like, what are my health rituals? What are the relationship rituals that we teach the guys? And how do they take an assessment that'll show them where they're at on this 3D, uh, three-dimensional businessman scale? Because really, you have health. You have mental, physical, spiritual, emotional. You got relationships. You got your relationship with your significant other, relationship with family, people like family, friends, and then you have your network and business. Those are very different. And then inside of your business, you have your vision. You have making money, keeping money, and growing money. And those are all very different. Everyone's on a different scale. But if you can master those three core areas, health, wealth, relationships, you can truly be a new type of businessman, which we call modern day businessman. And I share some stuff in there as well. Like one of my good friends who at 18 years old really inspired me in a weird way because she actually committed suicide. And uh, when she committed suicide, it shifted my entire life and my perspective And just six months later, I was able to drive down a road and I decided that I was going to live life differently. And something happened where I met this guy who was tatted from his feet all the way to his neck and he rushed my truck when I stopped for him at like one one o'clock in the morning. And it changed my whole life forever, but you guys have to read about it inside the book. So, um, little, little hook there for you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to read the whole story. It's just, it won't do justice here. Awesome. So you're an author, you've done a different podcasts, uh, you are a businessman, you're a coach. So what are some of the things that you would teach your younger self? Yeah, it's a really good question. So one big thing that I would definitely teach my younger self is that I've really underestimated the power of true education and coaching. I really thought that I really didn't see the value in it. I thought that I, I was such an action taker and implementer. Like I just like doing things. So when I would ever would hear something, I'd be like, all right, I'm going to go do it. Or I'd like, I'd go to live events and I would just network with people. Cause I'm like, oh, like knowledge isn't going to make me money, but like talking to people is what's going to make me money. Right. So one of the big things that I n- neglected throughout my years is I was always so attached to money when I was younger that I really tried to hold on to the money as tight as I could and try to get as much free education, free help. And it ended up costing me a lot of money because it's, it's called um, you know, missed opportunity, obviously, but opportunity costs. And I always tell my guys now, I'm like, listen, 
if I have a $25,000 program and you're at $75,000 a year in business, but this program is supposed to get you 250K in business. If you invest in it and you hit 250K, how much did that cost you? And they're like, 25K. No, like it didn't cost you 25K because you're making 75. You made 250. So let's take that off of it. It, caught, it made you 150 grand. If you take the expense, what you used to make, how much more the difference, that made you 150 grand. If you don't invest in it and you don't make progress, maybe you make like 10,000 more that year than you did before, still made progress, would that cost you? It's like, well, it costed you like $160,000 or 140,000 or whatever it is. Um, and so I looked at cost and opportunity cost very different as I got a little bit older. And I started realizing that I was investing time rather than investing resources. So it's gonna take some type of resource and so at, when I did have money, I held on to it too tightly and didn't invest in the right areas to be able to get the education. Because it's number one thing. I always say to our guys, and I would teach this myself, number one investment, you. Number two investment, your business. Like not Bitcoin, not stock market, not other people's businesses, not ideas, not even real estate. Not as a second, like because you have the thing that fuels the real estate. Yeah. It's like, it's you, your business, and then you can have an order of importance, but nothing's going to be above those two. So I didn't really have that foundation when I was first getting started. I also didn't have the three-dimensional at all. If, you were, if I were to listen to myself, this is the crappy part about it. If I were to listen to myself talk about three-dimensional businessman back in the day, I'd have been like, yeah, yeah, that's cool, but that's not my problem right now. If I just made more money, my life would be better. Like I'll figure out the other crap after I make a lot of money. Yeah. And that's what I thought. Yeah, I would go out there and I would burn myself out trying to make more money by not going to the gym and doing all this stuff. And then I would end up not feeling as good about myself and I wouldn't make the progress that I wanted. And that would just give me a big spiral. I'm like, I didn't close a sale and I didn't go to the gym and now I'm fatter and I didn't make any more money. And now I don't even care about any of it. Now I just want to be healthy and then I go be healthy and then my business would fail. And then I'd be like, see, being healthy doesn't help me. And then I got to go back and work really hard and my business goes higher, but then I'm not even happy about it because I'm not in shape. And so I really felt like I was just constantly, like you said, in this cycle. And really there's a true way where you can actually have it all in a way where it actually makes you more money. And that's what I share inside the book. So yeah, even right now I still struggle with it. Like there's those thoughts that come back, but right now I'm like in the best shape of my life, having the best time with my wife who's now pregnant. And I have a business where I'm able to do what I want. And it all came from like focused attention for a short amount of time. And now like I don't have to work every single day on the weekend or do all this other stuff. Like I, you can have it all. That's what I would definitely, I would hire myself if I was back then. Like that's it. If I just hired myself, I would have been fine. You can have it all. It just takes that upfront investment of time and resources. Totally. And building a skill set. Like people think you don't need a skill set. Dude, you're going you're gonna to want a skill set. Like I've never seen anyone become a professional athlete without actually knowing how to play the game. <laughs> Awesome. So uh, we have, you know, we've covered sort of what you teach your younger self. What is one resource besides your own? Cause we're for sure going to plug that anyways. Uh, what is one book or resource that helped you along your journey? Uh, Expert secrets and com sure gets great, great book for like anyone who's making a hundred million billion dollars all the way down to someone who's very much so just starting out. Uh, that's by my mentor, Russell, who also wrote on the front of this book, phenomenal book in all of his videos and all that stuff is phenomenal as well. Um, 
when it comes to resource, I think, I mean, I did book, I don't, I'm not much of a, I'm not a course learner or anything like that. And so I really like immersions and the lucky part for everyone listening right now is a, a live event that's in the arena or is in the thought process of like-minded individuals that you want to be like, not necessarily what's comfortable, but where you want to be, like who has the life that you want, who throws an event like that. There's always two benefits. Like people either do things because of like what you know, education or who you know, which is like, those are the two main currencies right now. It's like what you know is a currency, who you know is a whole nother currency. And a lot of times you can't get that at the same time besides at a live event. So I highly recommend live events have been the number one transformative thing for me. The best thing is they also come sometimes at a very low investment of free, 97, 997. Uh, I personally invest right now in one uh, event. It happens twice a year. And I've invested over 60 grand in the last 14 months to go to three of them. Wow. Three events. So you can, you know, it goes up to the sky's the limit, but I wouldn't do that unless it was good and profitable. And it'll be profitable at a $10 investment for an event as well. Or our events are around $1,000 for an investment for our like base event that everyone can go to. And we do an end of a money, end of the event money back guarantee. You go to every session and attend everything. And if you don't think it was worth it, we just give you your money back. No questions asked. Yeah. I mean, it's like not, we're not throwing events. Like you don't make money throwing an event. Yeah. Even at a thousand bucks a ticket, I don't make any money. So it's like, if I'm not doing it for the money, I don't want any complainers talking about, oh, this wasn't that good. But in three years of events, I've never had someone ask for their money back. Wow. Awesome. Well, Nicholas, it has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Nicholas Barely has been an author. He wrote uh, The Modern Day Businessman. He's a podcaster, entrepreneur, business guy. He's been to the moon and back, it seems. Uh, Nicholas, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. Absolutely, man. Appreciate you. And that does it for our show with Nicholas Barely. Now, I like Nick's story because he really drives home the point that you have to find a mentor or a coach that is further along and can guide you with where you want to go in your career and in your life in general. He also drives home the point that you have to play and compete with the best to become the best. It sort of harkens back to what we heard a couple weeks back. You're only become as good of a ping pong player as the best person you play against. From Takes for Tenacity, show number 15, this is Ben Trella. Thanks for listening.